Hi everyone, my name is Kumar Panja and I run the Capital Advisory Group for JP Morgan in EMEA. Welcome to our fourth podcast episode, our very first to be recorded in London. The focus of today's episode is on the application and future of ESG, that is environmental, social and governance factors. And we're going to focus it on the alternative space with special reference to hedge funds. And you'd be pleased to know that I won't be the only person doing this. I'm very excited to be joined on today's episode by two leaders in the space. First, Jason Mitchell, who's the co-head of Responsible Investment at Man Group PLC. Welcome, Jason. Thank you. It's great to be here. And Michael Weinberg, who's the Managing Director, Head of Hedge Funds and Alternative Alpha at APG Asset Management. Thank you. Pleasure to be here as well. Okay, let's get started. Back in May of 2019, our consulting team conducted a hedge fund client survey on ESG. I'll give you this stat that 77% of managers said they didn't know or didn't think that ESG provided any alpha opportunities. Do you think there is alpha in ESG investing? Let's start with you, Jason. So I will definitely take the bait on that. I mean, I would sort of counter with the question, how do we measure it? I mean, have you seen anyone talk about this in terms of performance attribution, whether it's risk or factor attribution? And the answer is no, because there's a problem in terms of measuring this. And and it goes to this sort of question that I'm really stuck on right now, which is what is measurable is manageable. And we have not built the sophistication yet for a number of reasons in terms of being able to express whether a portfolio is producing alpha. That said, we do talk about alpha, but it tends to be anecdotal. It tends to be about stock-specific stories. The problem with that is as you raise that to a portfolio level or higher, it becomes less clear if it is. Now, you know, that said, I think we have to recognize that we're working with limited amounts of data between eight and 12 years of as was data, unrevised data, when, you know, traditionally in quantitative finance, we're working with 100 years plus of data, which gives us a lot of time series to work through different economic cycles and and how the factors behave through that. To give you a sense, we've defined it. We've spent two years in a formal program working on developing an uncorrelated orthogonal factor. Again, we can't make a strong claim around performance, but on a go-forward basis, it provides a very interesting measure to look at attribution across portfolios and to the degree that ESG is driving that performance or not. So if anyone tells me there's alpha and ESG, I should look at them with skepticism. Look, I think if anyone comes out and makes a strong claim around a data set, you know, a time series of between five and 10 years, you've got to look at them with a high degree of skepticism. You just can't make that claim. Okay, thank you. Mike, over to you. Yeah, first, I just have to mention the views that I'm expressing today are my own and my firm's not looking for new clients. But that aside, at our firm, APG, we spend a great deal of time researching alpha and, and ESG investing. We don't have any hard evidence yet, but we believe there are signs of positive correlation between ESG implementation and potentially returns. Our view is the more information one has, including ESG data about a company or investment, it provides a higher resolution picture about that company and facilitates better decision making. In addition, we have a view that more than ever with younger generations, they appreciate companies that are more aligned with ESG factors and therefore those companies will be in greater demand. And companies that are less aligned will similarly experience lesser demand from an investment perspective. Then our view is that that in turn leads to a lesser cost of capital for the more ESG friendly companies and a greater cost of capital for the less ESG friendly companies. So over the long term, you know, we believe investors like ourselves should conceptually be able to achieve better returns from investing in the ESG leaders and avoiding or engaging with the laggards to improve them. Okay. 
And what about the way you implement ESG factors and the quality of those factors? For example, do you use third-party research and ratings in part of the decision-making process? Yes, we use a wide amount of data. It might often sound like I'm negative. You're being realistic. It, <laughs> it becomes an excuse, the, the high degree of disagreement to sort of beat up the, the data providers. The reality is we work with a lot of them. There's a lot of domain expertise that we use there. I think what's interesting, though, is that what is often sold as ESG, when you actually look at the underlying factor exposure for whatever that is, it's a lot of stuff that doesn't look like ESG. It's often quality or size because there's a transparency bias. Though the, the trend in quality of ESG data is improving, we believe that you shouldn't rely on a single data source or take any of these sources at face value. It's important to validate the data and confirm that it's conceptually not illogical. Equally importantly, at APG, we use proprietary methods to identify industry leaders and laggards, and that's based on a confluence of third-party data and our own data. Moreover, we supplement our quantitative data with qualitative data that's based on our long-term dialogue with companies and stakeholders. So it's a mosaic, and it really creates this integrated picture. I mean, there's this monoculture out there right now that is overly reliant on maybe one data source or maybe a couple, but they're taking these scores at face value and not doing enough digging independently and creating something that's proprietary. So I think that firms that actually recognize that that needs to be done will be advantaged going forward. Great. Okay. Well, look, can we pivot to hedge funds in particular? And from the conversations that my group has with both managers and allocators, it seems to be that hedge funds are behind the curve. But we are starting to see glimmers of hope with managers making meaningful strides in the space. What is your view on where the industry is now and where you think it will be in five years with regards to ESG? We're actively engaging fund managers to ensure they have an ESG policy in place. In fact, we will not invest with a manager that doesn't have an ESG policy in place. Then on top of that, we have an exclusion list, which is publicly filed on one of our affiliated websites with specific company names. Tobacco, cluster bombs, and nuclear weapons are on the exclusion list. In addition, we have UN SDI and SDG targets, and our funds are contributing to these targets. So that's all now. Five years from now, we think having an ESG policy will be the low bar, the must-have, because to your point, many funds don't now. We will only invest with funds that do, but many don't. In our view, funds without an ESG policy will be unable to raise capital. The funds that will thrive will be at the cutting edge of developing and using environmental, social, and governance data as part of their daily investment decision process. Managers will also be engaging the companies in their portfolio about how to improve their business by improving their ESG performance. So we think over the next five years, a lot will change for the better in this respect among the market. Right. Jason, you've, you know, your firm spent a lot of time investing on this. You've, you know, you've got a seat which actually specializes in this. Do you think there's a competitive advantage at the moment because you, know, you guys have put a lot of investment into that? Does a you know, rising tide lift all boats? To some degree, there might be a competitive advantage. I think, to be honest, it sort of reflects the reality. An interesting exercise that we've gone through is to look at a couple markets, let's say Europe, Canada, Australia, and the U.S., and take the top 50 allocators and try and understand which of those top 50 have a strong preference for responsible investment. In Europe, we think roughly around 65 to 70% of those allocators have a strong preference to responsible investment. When you look at Canada, you find roughly around 55-60%. Australia is roughly 45-50%, to 50%, and the U.S. is 16%. So I'm not surprised if particularly U.S. hedge funds are, you know, are less sensitive to this. And so if you're a manager in any one of these regions, 
you know, it's, it's a matter of self-preservation, to be honest, and attrition. The other thing that I would say, to go back to that point about is ESG process or premium or a factor, I think process sells pretty well in the long-only world. Process is a harder sell when your fee structure is 2 and 20, right? And so when you're paying for performance, you kind of want to understand that sort of alignment or what ESG means for it, right? I mean, from an attributional perspective, from a risk to exposure perspective. And I don't think, I'm speaking at the industry level, that that kind of sophistication has developed yet. We would say ESG investing is not a factor, though, because, you know, so much of it is so subjective. One person's ESG requirements and constraints may be entirely different than another person or organizations, and different people and organizations have different sensitivities. So we would say it's probably not a factor in that respect. We've gone way beyond this being a fad, and I know we've done that in the traditional space and not only, but even in alternative space, I think it's no longer okay for managers to totally ignore this if they have aspirations to, to grow and capture more of that investor mindset going forward. Just staying on that vein within hedge funds and breaking it down by strategy, it appears, again, from our conversations with managers that equity-centric funds, there's equity long short, market neutral, they're more able to be active in ESG, or they can claim that they can implement ESG or factors. But if you're macro, multi-asset, multi-strategy, perhaps credit, less so. And that also breeds a uh, stasis within some of those managers that they don't need to. It's difficult, so therefore they don't need to. What do they need to do to move forward in incorporating ESG? There's no one-size-fits-all approach and no single standard that applies to macro funds or any strategy for that matter in our view. For multi-strategy funds, there easily are sensible ESG policies for the underlying sub-strategies, right? Such as equities and credit. Our view is that including ESG factors is simply a component of robust investing. The first step is for the manager to source the data, and the second step is to analyze the material issues for the region, sector, or securities. And then the manager may think about how to systematically incorporate those factors into their decision-making. So it's really a process and part of a process. There is no one-size-fits-all answer. But let's get into a bit more detail. So if you're a macro manager and you're sort of many rates heavy, what would you do? I perhaps won't address rates specifically, but what we could address is the macro manager can look at the ESG factors of the countries that it's investing in or the regions or the sectors. And, you know, obviously there would be potentially both quantitative and qualitative data and analyses available on all of those parameters, both for the region, sectors, countries, and other types of securities. Okay. And Jason, do you I mean you've incorporated this or incorporating this across the whole suite of man products, but not, not the whole suite, not the whole suite yet, but maybe I, at some only point. because it touches on the point that I think you're heading towards, yes. which is there are areas, particularly equities, as we know, and increased corporate fixed income, as well as corporate or sovereign debt. But there are areas non-traditional areas that are just more difficult, particularly when you look at managed futures funds or commodities funds, for instance. There's a lot of qualitative information. You can look at companies and sort of their exposure to commodities in the same way that people look at sort of companies and their exposure to carbon or climate risk. And so there are ways you can do it, but it's not easy. (laughs) It's, It's much more difficult. 
Okay, thanks, Jason. Um, I want to follow up on a couple of um, things you mentioned there. One is the kind of this interpretation of ESG investment, but also the reporting and the transparency, because there is this growing concept of greenwashing, which we understand to be perhaps easily described as an overrepresentation of the so-called ESG or green credentials of an investment strategy. Mike, perhaps you can talk us through what you see the issues are with greenwashing and whether you agree with that with that sort of definition of greenwashing. Yeah, I mean, we would say ESG investing isn't black and white, and it's clearly a gray area. However, what it is, is it's a serious commitment to doing hard work and identifying the relevant ESG factors, doing the analysis, making conscious investment decisions. That's what's really important. And you have to ask the right questions and validate the answers that you get. So if you require transparency, you discuss the dilemmas, and you look beyond the labels, we believe greenwashing is quickly exposed. I think it's it's fascinating. Again, it, there is peak paranoia and suspicion across the industry. But one thing that's interesting about greenwashing is that it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people, right? I mean, there's no hard definition. And right now, we're seeing a lot of really interesting product development in the space. We're seeing certainly an urgency like never before, particularly with the EU's sustainable finance package. We're finding policymakers try to solve for policy outcomes, i.e. funding, financing the just transition or the transition towards a lower carbon future. Recognizing that the majority of listeners, we think, will be the allocated community managers, as well as, in general, the hedge fund ecosystem, what one observation on ESG would you leave the listener with? Mike, I'll start with you. We won't even speak to managers about investing if they don't have an ESG policy. They must have an ESG policy. It has to be something that they think about, that they care about, that's integral in their investment process. It's super crucial and important to us. We're long-term investors. We would like to make the world a better place, and we think this is one way to do that. Thank you. That's very clear. Jason, what are your thoughts? Focus on the data. Explore it. Stay broad. Look for ways to apply your finance experience in alternative data sets, whether it's climate or governance. And so I feel like it sort of circles back to that core line again. What's measurable is manageable. We need to get better at this to help allocators, to help as managers allocate to companies to be more efficient. Okay. We could have talked for hours and hours on this, but this has been really good. Thank you so much, Jason and Mike, for sharing your views with us. Thank you. Thank you. For our listeners, if you have any comments or ideas to continue the ESG discussion, please do let us know by getting in touch with your usual JP Morgan Capital Advisory contact. Thanks for listening. The views expressed in this podcast may not necessarily reflect the views of JP Morgan Chase & Company or its affiliates, collectively JP Morgan. This communication is provided for information purposes only. JP Morgan normally makes markets and trades as principal in securities, other financial products, and other asset classes that may be discussed in this communication. For additional disclaimers and regulatory disclosures, please consult www.jpmorgan.com slash country slash US slash EN slash sales and trading disclaimer. Thank you.